Hey, it's Phil Simon. My new book is out now. It is called The Nine, The Tectonic Forces Reshaping the Workplace. It's my best work to date, and I hope that you'll check it out. Thanks. Oh, I know it's true. Of course nobody needs mail. What do you think you're so clever figuring that one out? Conversations about collaboration, episode 47. Scott Beeson joins me. He is a professor at Fairleigh Dickinson University. We talk about his new book, The Whole Person Workplace, Building Better Workplaces Through Work-Life, Wellness, and Employee Support. Let's rock and roll. Scott, where does this pod find you? I'm in Nyack, New York, so just north of New York City. All right. Let's get into it. Before we talk about the new book, uh, you perhaps hate email as much as I do, particularly when it comes to quote unquote conversations. Um, I have my reasons, but I know them. What are yours? Well, so I'm a university professor um, and it seems like a lot of times I'll be getting an email from somebody like eight doors down the hallway um, in a conversation instead of just like the, the five minute you know, conversation that will take care of things. I mean, email is good for certain things, right? If it's simple, if it's short, if it's a quick clarification, you need the documentation behind it. But um, for conversations, you know, you lose so much tone and context. Um, I remember um, actually a video I show in one of the classes I teach is a guy who's saying, you are hallucinating the tone of the person who's sending you the email. Um, and it depends on like your, you know, uh, blood sugar level at the time and how you're feeling. So, you know, you can see the word, but how you're interpreting the words, you know, is, is a lot of you, right? So um, not only do you, uh, can you misinterpret tone, you can also put in a wrong tone into somebody else's email. So, you know, you just lose richness when you, when you go down to email. Um, and also, the other thing is with email, I find a lot of people like will go back and forth on emails. I'm like, well, no, like email, the one advantage it has is you can take a little bit of time to compose your answer before it's not texting. It's not a phone call. Um, and people throw away the extra time, I think, and just like, boom. Um, so those are two of my problems with emails. Yeah, I'm with you. My worst experience with emails when someone who was sitting at a consulting gig actually in New Jersey a million years ago across from me slammed me via email and I just got up and it was a woman but I said something effective dude yeah <laughs> cool um let's talk a little bit about the new book um yeah great the, um uh, premises that companies need to be more family friendly more tolerant of uh, families of, of differences um, and when I was re reading it, it occurred to me that this might be, along with COVID, the kick in the ass that some companies need to catch up because it's been a million years since I studied labor relations. But I know that the U.S. is one of, I think it's seven or eight industrialized countries not to offer things like paid leave. And FMLA, I think, is 12 weeks of unpaid leave subject to, I think it's working 1,200 hours in the previous year, blah, blah, blah. Um, to the extent that some companies now maybe won't have a choice, uh, might this be the incentive that companies need to, to go more of the way of, say, Netflix or Microsoft and being more generous with leave? Uh, yes, I think so. So first off, FMLA, yeah, um, this was an incredible political push during the Clinton administration to get in. So that's how long it's been since we've had like 
you know, policy in this area. And yeah, as you say, it's 12 weeks unpaid leave and there's a lot of conditions and it doesn't, it only extends to about 60% of the U.S. workforce. And we are the only industrial industrialized country without at least paid maternity leave. Um, there's others that don't have um, uh, paid paternity leave, but the vast majority do. Um, yeah, I think so. And I think, you know, one of, it would be an incredible shame to live through everything we've lived through these last 18 months or so. Um, and in the workplace, like learn no lessons from it, right? Or, uh, you know, just go back to the way things were before. Um, I think we've learned a lot about the needs of our workplace, about how so many employees are not balancing work with a whole host of things, not just family stuff, but you know, a whole host of responsibilities and priorities and other things in their lives. Uh, we've gotten a glimpse into everybody's house, right? With the in the screens, and we see what's going on, and we can see if you know, if you know, if employees not doing well or they're overly stressed about childcare or elder care or you know, whatever it is, you know, burnout, not enough time for life. Um, not being able to uh, exercise or be physically well, it affects work, right? So I think it's incumbent on em employers to learn these lessons because now we, we have no excuse to not see it anymore uh, to say, you know, I, I think the best employers, the ones that are not going to get left behind, um, are going to say, well, you know, there's a connection between when my person's at work and everything that's going on in the rest of their lives. So let me provide some resources policies, programs that can help people relieve some of the stressors that they're dealing with in their lives. And there's, once you have that mindset that your employees aren't, they, they don't just exist during work time, but they're a whole person, right? Before work, after work, you know, um, you know the, the whole works. Um, and then what happens in the rest of our lives affects work, right? It, it, then it's incumbent on us to say, well, what can we do to support, you know, somebody being, you know, physically well or mentally well or, less stressed about some of the responsibilities that they have in their lives. And if we do that, you know, we're, we're going to have better workplaces. But I do agree from a you know, policy standpoint, uh, there's been a lot more energy around rethinking the workplace relationships between employers and employees. So in the private, you know, obviously private sector, it's going to be all over the place, right? Some employers just look at people as part of the machine and others, like I profile in, in the whole person workplace, like really you know, are doing what I say, you know, I provide a lot of examples there of, of companies that take on that responsibility and, and lead with those values. And, you know, they're all convinced that that's the way to go. And, you know, I agree, mm -hmm. but, um, you know, it'd be nice if there was some push on the policy side and there has been, you know, there's, there's, you know, every year, a couple of States adopt a paid leave program. Um, I know that, um, right now there's a congressional push to get, um, get some sort of paid leave into the reconciliation bill, but you know, we'll see what happens mm -hmm. there. So is this what you mean when you write about the importance of aligning policy to cultural values? Yeah. Well, I mean, everything should, right. Um, you know, if you study organizational culture or national culture or whatever, um, you know, you start with a set of values, right. And then you have to make those values real through tangible policies and programs and decisions that you make. So you could say you're like, hey, we support working parents, but you don't really, you, know, you don't have a, a a good parental leave policy, or you know, uh, you don't subsidize childcare, you don't, um, you know, have some sort of support system for like returning new parents. Then you know your actions don't line up with what you said your values were, right? So you know, one of the things you know, I I feel very strongly about and, you know, being someone who has taught organizational behavior and human resource management and worked with many companies 
is, you know, you got to live your values even when they're inconvenient. Um, so if you do care about your employees as whole people, that means, you know, maybe having a generous parental leave policy. Well, that means, you know, you might not have this person for two months, right? Um, but if you really care about this, this person in your workplace um, and your workforce, well, that's a choice you make, even if there's a short-term inconvenience to it. And by the way, you can, you can make up for these things by, uh, you know, being creative in the workplace and how you distribute work and things like that. But the overall point, yes. I mean, um, the whole person workplace, like that, that phrase is kind of like a cultural value kind of being placed out there. And then how do you, how you make it real depends on your business, your work team, your particular situation. Um, they're, you know, what's right for a multinational company with a lot of resources um, is not right for, you know, a food store with two locations. Um, but both of those employers can do things that um, value employees as whole people and, you know, become more successful because of it. Talk to me a little bit about Dun & Bradstreet. Well, DMB is a great company. Um, and uh, one of the people I interviewed in the book, he actually, he moved on from Dun & Bradstreet, but he worked there for many years and loved it there. Um, you know, they just, um, you know, again, th- this kind of connection between values and, you know, implementation um, has been, um, in my experience uh, with them, uh, very strong. So, you know, they say they value employees, they say they value wellness, you know, physical wellness, um, you know, energy at the workplace. Um, you know, they have, you know, robust wellness policies and programs. They, they really care about people's uh, physical health, um, you know, encourage walking at work and, you know, Fitbit challenges. And, you know, th- th- those are the small little things, right, that add up to the, you know, correspond with, with the values and, and culture. Uh, but, but again, you know, from an employee, just from employee onboarding and talking about how, you know, listen, if you're part of us, you know, we're going to look out for you too. Um, and that we should, um, y- you know, that, you know, they take on some of those, those whole person values that, that, um, you know, I've been talking about uh, so far and here in the book. Mm-hmm. Um, but DMV, you know, uh, again, uh, just a, a really good example of a company that has kind of comprehensive policies and programs that support a culture. Talk to me about markers for applicants. We're in the midst of a great resignation to the extent that ah. employees now, and I think it was something like 4% of the workforce quit in, I want to say March or April, which was one of the largest on record, certainly long, largest in a long time. When I think about collaboration, I say to myself, well, how does the organization communicate with you? If it's exclusively via email, right, yeah. then that's a marker, right? Which, you know, again, you and I aren't fans of, of email for that sort of back and forth. <laughs> what would be some markers to look for for somebody looking to possibly um, switch jobs and wanting to go to a more family-friendly place? Because I think that someone might say, well, yeah, people are going to say, of course, we value our employees, but right. how do you make sure that it isn't just a bunch of idle words? Yeah. So, um, you know, first off, you could do some research in your job search. You could, um, you know, check out the, you know, uh, Glassdoor ratings and, you know, uh, go through LinkedIn and do some networking and, you know, various lists, fortune, et cetera. But, you know, if you're actually networking with people at a company or you're interviewing, I would ask them very specifically about the last 18 months. I I think that's a real window. Um, So if you ask questions like, well, how did you um, support your employees' mental well-being during the height of COVID? Um, how did you prevent burnout for people who were working from home and balancing lots of things? Um, you know, tell me about 
a way that you were able to maintain team cohesiveness, even if you were communicating at a distance. Um, and if the person can answer those questions with specificity and pride, then, you know, this is probably a place that that has it together. Uh, you're you're right? flipping the uh, star, right? Situation, task, outcome, result with behavior-based interviews on them. So when they're going to say, tell well, me about yeah. a time that you dealt with a difficult colleague, right? You flip yes. it on them with tell me about a time that you handled an employee who was dealing with stress. And if they don't have an answer, that's probably an indication that those policies Correct. are kind of loosely enforced if, if not enforced at all. Right. And, and, you know, the answer could be, you know, the answer that comes to the top of the head and with pride is like, we allowed our work teams to work these things through, or we gave autonomy to individual, you know, like whatever the answer is. Right. Um, and then, you, you know, with the great resignation, as you're talking about, um, you know, there's a lot of news about this and there's a lot of surveys and a lot of big numbers, like 64% are considering new jobs. And I don't know how much I believe any particular poll, but the drift of it is a lot of people are reconsidering who they work for. um, And I think are looking not just for a bump in pay, but looking for an employer that will consider them in a broader sense. Right. And if it's hourly employees, you know, we, we, you know, we heard here all about, you know, retail places and sales organizations and restaurants can't find people. Well, part of that's money, but part of it could be like, I don't know, when I waited tables a long time ago, I got my schedule a couple of days in advance for the week and I was young and unattached and that was okay. But I don't know if I had kids or I'm trying to help my mom who, you know, has, you know, Parkinson's or something like, you know, I have doctor's appointments to get to. I have, you know, daycare pickup to go to. Um, I can't just know my schedule two days in advance. Right. So even for jobs that we don't think about, like, you know, kind of the, uh, you know, white collar kind of how we accommodate employees, you know, there's ways we could do this in all different sectors. And I think this is what people are looking for. So, you know, maybe as you said before, maybe this is like the private sector leading um, positive changes that that, uh, we need to see. And, you know, we're also seeing this when it comes to COVID policy, right? Um, You know, with employers who are now either mandating vaccines or they're having other restrictions or they're, they're, you know, uh, scaling back their return to workplace plans. Um, you know, the marketplace of private sector ideas is sifting through these things um, and maybe coming up with solutions that aren't coming top down from other places. Yeah. As I listen to you speak, and I didn't think about this because as we are recording this, Amazon and some other high profile companies have announced that they're going to compel employees to get vaccines. I suppose that in theory, if this is marketplace, and, and I agree with you there, there may be some companies that don't and may attract a certain type of worker, right? We could see people yeah. leaving jobs on the basis of not just accepting the whole person, but a specific type of person, if that makes any sense, right? C- CNN, yes. no, CNN absolutely. fired folks, three folks who came in without vaccines, because they're making a very definitive statement. You want to work here, you will get a vaccine. Right. So, so CNN, these people faked Get having their vaccines, and that's why they were fired. So that's a slightly different thing. Oh, I didn't they, hear that. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, uh, but but yes. So the thing is, right? If you especially if you start from a set of values, it's not you know you're not it's not a choice if um, there's no downside to it or people who would disagree with it, right? Um, so if an employer is going to take a very hard stand about vaccines, that's a choice, right? And some people are going to be happy with it and other people are not going to be happy with it. If an employer decides, you know what? It's up to people. It's up to whatever you want to do, right? 
Some of their employees will be happy with that. Other employees will be like, get me out of here. I'm going to look for another job because I don't want to risk my life going to the office with this, you know, with these people who I don't know what their deal is. So it's extremely tough choices for employers. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't want to necessarily advocate one set of choices or the other, but I think that you can't please everybody in these decisions. So you may as well lead with the set of values and what's important to you as an organization. And if perhaps the health of our employees and customers is something that you're going to talk about being paramount, great. If, hey, employee free choice and you know we don't want to be paternalistic and we want to let people just be themselves, I suppose that's that's another set of choices, right? And they each have upsides and downsides. Right. But maybe it makes sense to be deliberate about those because I agree with you. You're yes. never going to please everyone. I mean, our country is so polarized that what color yeah. is the sky, right? There are going to be right. people saying it the way it's blue, right? Now they may be colorblind right. or they may just right. be contrarian. But yeah, I, I would think that it's, you, we may, may in fact see a decent amount of turnover because an organization takes a political stance or a vaccine stance yeah. if those are two, even two different things. So yeah, I mean, is there potentially some, for lack of a better term, beneficial employee turnover? Because Judy was never going to get vaccinated. 99% of the employees want us to take this stand. And if that means yeah. that we lose Judy, then so be it. Yeah. So, I mean, one important consideration when it comes to like who you hire and who you want to keep in your company is some sort of cultural fit. Now, this could go too far and make everything like a cult and everybody thinks the same. You don't want that, right? But uh, you want everyone to buy into at least a few core values, you know. Um, so, yeah, people who don't fit in organization. This is why, like, we should do a really good job in recruiting and in, you know, make, you know, vetting new employees to make sure they're going to be a fit. Because if they're not a cultural fit, they're probably going to start seeking other employment or they're not going to, you know, they're going to disrupt team uh, cohesiveness and things like that. But again, fine line, right? You don't want to go too far to groupthink. Um on the other hand, you do want cohesiveness in your workplace, especially if you're going to be working in a distributed fashion. You need to have, you know, some commonality at their heart, right, um, in order to to keep people uh, kind of on the same page. But yeah, uh, and going back to, um, you know, just again, I don't want to talk about vaccine mandates, you know, too too much. But you said a considered decision. So, you know, if you're a healthcare organization, you know, St. Jude's Medical Center with kids with cancer, right? They're mandating vaccines. And that makes an incredible amount of sense because you don't want to jeopardize your, you know, your, your patients. Um, you know, other workplaces, if you, if everybody can kind of work distributed and work from home, we can spread everybody out and we're not really, you know, have to be physically on top of each other at work. Well, that could lead to a different set of decisions, right? So we should think about the type of work we do, the type of customers we have or clients we have. Um, lots of other things too. Yeah, there's, there's so much to talk about here. And when I think about a distributed yeah. company not mandating vaccines, but then you see articles about how companies are taking the savings from real estate and yeah. plowing them into once or twice a year events because yeah. we want people to get together because as I'm sure you'd agree, there are limitations, right? I can, recording this yeah. on Zoom, I could read some of your body language, but but not yeah. all of it. It's not the same as being in person. So I, it's... I agree. It's it, these have got to be some tough decisions for leaders, but that's why they make the big bucks, right? Yeah, and some are, you know, kind of splitting the baby a little bit. Like J.P. Morgan is like, you can be unvaccinated, but then you have to get tested twice a week, and you can't be in any room with more than twenty or twenty-five people, or something like that. So, you know, big conferences or get-togethers and things like that, um, which is like you don't have to, but 
you know, almost like we're going to apply some pressure for you to do this, right? You kind of wonder if they're taking that stance right now, but then just in terms of costs and logistics of doing business, I mean, what do you do if you say, all right, we're not going to let people in and make up a number 25 and you've got 26 for a meeting, then that person gets picked out and gets shamed. And before you know, it is ranting on social media. Yes. Yeah. Again, hair, big hairy issues. This is like this whole things looked like they were trending so well early in the summer. And now like, you know, all of these, uh, these considerations are popping up. Did you ever, did uh, you ever think about big hairy issues as the subtitle of the book? Yeah. (laughs) Well, that was the the big hairy audacious goal. I think that was the the, the term I was, uh, I said big and hairy from, um, but yeah, I mean, yes. Uh, you, the thing is, it sounds simple, right? Like support your employees as whole people, right? Now, the value might be an easy thing to articulate, but how you enact that and think through all the decisions, yeah, it can be big, hairy choices. Good stuff, Scott. I'll get you out of here on this. What book are you currently reading? Uh, right now, I'm reading a book by one of my really good friends, uh, Dr. Amy Beacom, um, and it's called The Parental Leave Playbook. Um, and it's the first book that actually like is designed for people who are, uh, I guess, expectant parents, uh, to think through how they're going to manage their parental leave and maybe have conversations with their supervisors and and teammates and also get ready to be a parent. Um, so it's, uh, I have a vested interest, I suppose. She's a friend of mine. I have, uh, been a subcontractor for her consulting firm as well. Uh, but it's really good. And it's something that's like super needed in this world. Scott, thanks for taking the time. Great. Thank you so much, Phil. Remember that these episodes drop every Tuesday. However, if you'd like early access to them, you're in luck. I've launched a Patreon page for this podcast at, wait for it, patreon.com forward slash Phil Simon. I've set up a number of different tiers, including early access and podcast sponsorships. Thanks for listening to Conversations About Collaboration. If you like what you heard, then how can you not? Please download, like, and or subscribe. See you next time. Remember that these episodes drop every Tuesday. However, if you'd like early access to them, you're in luck. I've launched a Patreon page for this podcast at, wait for it, patreon.com forward slash Phil Simon. I've set up a number of different tiers, including early access and podcast sponsorships. Thanks for listening to Conversations About Collaboration. If you like what you heard, then how can you not? Please download, like, and or subscribe. See you next time.